Elizabeth, thanks for coming on our show. Thank you for having me, Thomas. I'm delighted to be part of the show. Uh, you you happen to be one of the the unique women pioneers in the space world. Uh, what what is it that kind of drove you to want to uh, venture off into uncharted territory in space? That's a great question. Um, you know, so it, I've always, to be honest, been very interested in space um, since I was five, actually, back in India. Uh, my parents were both scientists, um, introduced me. You know, we, there were very few resources back in the 70s in India, uh, but they were able to, you know, give me enough information and access and books that uh, really sparked my interest. So I've always been an, an observer of space, not so much a participant, but, you know, always um, learning. And I think over the past decade, we've, you know, really seen that, because my work really is at the intersection of emerging technologies and the implications on work and people. So, you know, with with all of that, uh, I, you know, I think we've really observed that that's all being exacerbated and magnified by the canvas where all of that's playing out. So, you know, emerging technologies, there's, you know, all these geopolitical shifts that are happening in how we work and operate. And then all of that playing out in a very different canvas of space, um, you know, piqued my interest. Um, I did do some work, um, you know, in the in the space. Uh, uh, some of that I, you know, I don't share as much. But um, I also on the on the Council of Advisors with the SETI Institute, okay. uh, which uh, has some amazing scientific data based work um, you know, in 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 the in the space of you know, astrobiology and astrophysics. Um, but I think equally, you know, probably, you know, importantly. Um, what I've been observing and writing and you know, talking about is how the economy of space is going to be transformational, right? And yeah. I, everything that we, we're we seeing, especially, you know, I, I talk about how every company will need to be a space company and, you know, we will all be space consumers. So, you know, given some of those trends, um, I've just uh, tried to uh, observe and learn and uh, communicate what I'm, what I'm studying and seeing. Yeah. Have no, you've you've not taken any uh, flights into into space yet. No, but you know I'm optimistic. You know the the days when we thought that you know that was only for um, the the fit and the uh, you know and the the fighter pilots, right? Right, like, right. Days have changed, so who knows, Thomas? Maybe you and I will both be on that spaceship to Mars someday. Okay, what's your, what's your best estimate as when we will have a space hotel? That we can go and hang out at in space. I believe you know in the next couple of years quite easily, okay. um, and I'll explain why. If that's uh, you know, I mean we've we've had presence in you know in, in space, continuous presence in the ISS for decades now, um, right. and I, I I would argue that you know any astronaut on their off day in the ISS is in a space hotel. But uh, that that's your know, jokes aside. I think it's really a question of. How much commercial funding we will, you know, have, um, and, and I think we're well on it on our way there. So uh, I, I would a couple more years for sure. And that's it. Okay, so one one of the hottest topics out there in the tech world right now is artificial intelligence and how um, it is uh, taking on and doing the task of lots of people, um, making jobs easier, making things more efficient. How how has that affected the space world, and 
Um, and what what kind of applications is it being used on today? That's a that's a really important question, and you know I think we have to look at um, when we look at generative AI or the you know developments we're seeing in AI. What does that really imply for you know for us in general, right? And then you know what does that mean for us and how we use data or technology in space? Um, so I think uh, the the potential of you know generative AI is like other technological advances. It's you know I I believe it's really to augment human intelligence and help us do more. Um, and we've seen applications of AI already in you know data analysis and edge computing and really processing very large amounts of data that we can now collect. So I think that aspect of applying AI to you know to resolve and look for patterns in the data that we're finding will only increase. Um, what we're finding with the you know some of the more consumer-friendly interactive uses of AI uh, more recently with ChatGPT or uh, you know other applications. Um, I think are again going to help us visualize and consume the data more effectively, um, which you know ultimately will help us make better decisions and uh, hopefully do more good uh, with, with the choices that we're given. Yeah, as as this whole area evolves, it looks like we're probably going to have the first base on the moon in not not too distant future. Um. Now, I wanted to ask you this question because this is this has always um, uh, intrigued me. Uh, I'm assuming that at some point we're going to have the first person that's born on the moon and in reduced gravity. Um, how will that affect that that individual and how will, will that child grow up to be different than people born on Earth? Uh, that's an interesting question. Now, I think there are some medical constraints candidly with you know how we expect humans to be even uh you know be formed and and grow in a utero in space so microgravity will have very different um you know implications and may not even allow the formation of you know human beings as we know so some of that research is playing out right so uh don't have the answer to that yet uh, but assuming that we get to a point where we're able to understand, you know, the implications of microgravity on, you know, human development, and we do see, uh, you know, human beings born in, um, you know, born in microgravity or other you know, environments like Mars, uh, I think, you know, um, it's going to be, in some ways, no different than, you know, what I think uh, the early explorers of the 15th century experienced, right? They're going to be making a life in different places. Um, they're going to have to deal with different, you know, geopolitical issues and challenges. They're going to have to, you know, find resources and use the resources of their particular geography to, you know, make life thrive. Um, so I, I think we're kind of hearkening back to those days of the early explorers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see one, what are the kinds of individuals who, you know, choose to make those uh, those journeys. Um, again, we have some parallels, and you know, I think it'll be an interesting time that lies ahead, and probably in our lifetime, Dallas. Hello, this is Trent Fowler, co-host of the Futurati podcast. One of the most common pieces of marketing advice I've come across is to know your audience and give them what they want. 
One difficulty in podcasting is that it's actually pretty hard to do this. None of the major platforms give us any way to reach out to you, our listeners, to find out what you enjoy about the Future Audio Podcast and what you'd like to see done differently. So we've decided to record this commercial and ask you directly to reach out to us. Head over to futuratipodcast.com, go to the contact page, and drop us a line. Tell us about your favorite and least favorite episodes, what you'd like to see us cover in the future, and anything else you want us to know. We produce this show for you, and we want your advice so we can make it even better. Thank you. Right, right. So you you do some work with SETI, um, the, and that there, there's a constant um, search going on for uh, extraterrestrial life, and um, now it's occurred to me that if if something uh, if an a life form grows up on another planet, that it grows up with different gravity, with different atmosphere, with different levels of oxygen, with different day-night cycles, with different um, food sources, with different threats. Um, yeah, virtually every part of its existence is different than what we as humans experience. So something growing up on another planet would, would naturally look radically different than what we do uh, because there are so many, many factors that affect it. Um, what, what do you think the odds are that we're going to find uh, uh, extraterrestrial life? And uh, how soon do you think that might happen? Um, so, you know, the, the, the question of, you know, does life exist and outside planet Earth and, you know, will we recognize it when we encounter it, right? Those are right. big questions. Um, I think, uh, you know, one obviously conversation for a whole different topic, um, now for a whole different podcast. Um, I think the truth is that the the probability of, you know, us encountering life um, is, 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 there's a mathematical probability, right? So, there's the Drake equation, which Frank Drake talked about, right? Drake, the SETI Institute, right? And he has a, a very uh, robust formula, which looks at, you know, potentially the number of civilizations, the number of you know, uh, planets, the number of uh, planets where life might occur, et cetera. So uh, I, I think there's the mathematical probability that probably has become more uh, likely given that we understand much more about our universe now with you know with the James Webb, et cetera, we do understand there are many more galaxies, many more planets. So that, you know, that equation, you know, has uh, has uh, meaning and uh, it's not just in the realm of contention. Um, I think in terms of, you know, how we encounter life or techno signatures that, you know, we might encounter again, you know, the, the, the data does not exist to conclusively say that hey this is what it is or what we're encountering but i think as every good scientist knows you know we have to always begin the journey with humility and acknowledgement that we don't know everything right and we have to continue to explore and keep an open mind to what we might encounter and i think that's really the you know the the whole conversation right are we are we humble enough are we uh, smart enough to know that we don't know most things and we're still encountering things. Uh, and, and so I hope that, you know, that, that kind of is the, is the presiding principle of our journey. Yeah. So, so a lot of your work involves coaching companies on how to prepare for 
um, kind of the future uh, space industries that are that are coming down the pike. Uh, can you give some examples of of how you how you work with companies and help them get prepared for it? Sure, sure. Um, uh, and I'll you know I'll begin with um, this fundamental principle that I write about in my my book, Seller Singularities. Every company will be a space company. And every you know every individual will be a space consumer. The, the truth is that we're already there, right? If you and I use a satellite phone, which I know we do, and so do most people around the world, um, you know, we're consuming data that's streamed down from space to a satellite. Uh, so there is that. So we're all space consumers already, watching TV or listening to the radio or you know navigating. Um, the, the second part of it is, you know, every company will need to be a space company. Will be a space company. Um, you know, as far back as 1984, Walmart had satellites to manage their data sets, you know, just from an inventory management perspective, right? So we have precedent and history of companies adopting technology. Now, where that technology, you know, is that on the ground in a data center somewhere offshore? Is it, you know, in a data center somewhere onshore? Or is it, you know, up in space, right? So I think the geography of some of those things have shifted. Uh, but the the ability or the need of companies and organizations to use data and use space technology, I think, is only going to accelerate with some of the changes we talked about. Uh, that said, when we try to help companies understand, right, what, how do you become a space company? Why do I need to become a space company? There's two aspects of it. The first is you know really the education part of saying, okay, you know, how does what's happening in in, in lower Earth orbit or in commercial in the commercial space sector impact or help me, how does the technology that we're starting to see, you know, in space put, have the potential to help make my business better? So that those are the two, you know, questions first, and I'll talk about that in a second. And then the third part of it is, you know, how do I organize and operate as a company that actually can um, access the technology, infuse that into the normal work of the company and make it better? So those are, I think, the three questions we really help with. Um, so the the first question, you know, the, the the part of it is how do we understand how the, the space industry or you know space technology has potential for organizations? So we really help companies understand the you know the implications based on that industry. And every single industry has application or has utility for you know in space. Um, if you think of think of pharma, for example, right? Pharmaceutical companies need to consider the use of microgravity in their research for drug development or for biologics, right? So again, people wouldn't have thought that pharma would need space, but it does. Uh, if you think about what's happening in the automotive sector, companies are starting to build rovers that you know can work on different terrains, right? So you right. kind of need to think about uh, how do you, one, get things off the ground? How do you uh, monitor them or control them from, uh, from, you know, uh, from Earth? Um, even financial services companies need space. Um, people would say, really? Yes, if you have to insure a satellite, you need somebody who understands how a satellite works and what are the risk factors of launch, right? So right. an insurance company cannot not understand what's happening in space. Uh, so, you know, part of that is educating and helping companies kind of see the potentials, right? So that's how we kind of help get to that first answer. Uh, the second, sorry, let me pause for a second before I jump to two and three, because... Um, I... Yeah, well, well, this is very good because you're bringing up areas that uh, people don't normally think about, um, and how that gets tied into space. I think that's that's really important, um, and we're, I think we're all going to be connected in lots lots more ways 
than others. But there, there are certainly some industries that are uh, more affected near term than others. Um, and so I'm, I'm guessing that you probably spend more time working with them than the other ones. Is that correct? Um, that's right. I mean, I, you know, I think different industries, as you rightly pointed out, you know, have, um, have different levels of adjacency to what's happening in the space business. Um, right. So companies that are in launch and logistics, you know, obviously they have a, you know, big interest. Um, and then, you know, companies that are in the satellite chatcom business, right? Telecom, telecommunications, they have uh, lots of significant adjacency. Um, that, that said, though, uh, you know, again, we believe and we are seeing that every company needs to kind of understand some of that. Um, the, the second part of it is that, you know, when companies are trying, to, when we think of the space industry, you know, we think of the big names, right? The, the big name that everybody talks about. But the truth is that, you know, this $1 trillion economy that Bank of America estimates by 2030 and, you know, Morgan Stanley estimates by 2040, I think the answer will be somewhere between the two. Uh, but you know that that actually doesn't really account for uh, PRC's investments, people of China's investments in space, or you know Saudi Arabia, right? So both of those financial services, uh, the, the analysts there are looking at the visible data, not the data that they can't tap. So anyway, uh, so the, the the point there is, at, you know, when we think about where that growth, how that economy is going to grow. Obviously, a big chunk of it is going to come from government agencies, space agencies, and from the big players, the brand ones that we all know. But the real growth is going to come from these hundreds of smaller companies that are looking at, you know, democratizing space, democratizing CubeSats, getting launch off the ground, um, not just in North America or Europe, but also in Africa and Asia. So the, the growth of the global space economy is going to come from, you know, a, a thousand flowers, small, small companies starting up. And a, a big part of what we work with corporations also to kind of think about is, you know, how do you harness that innovation at the grassroots level? And how do you, you know, uh, how do we help those companies also flourish and operate uh, as they're starting up? Um, one of the, you know, the data stats I, I always sometimes you know, I think about and I, I laugh a little bit is, um, you know, when you think about the movie, the Hollywood movie Gravity, uh, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock, um, yeah. that cost about ninety nine zero million to make. Um, it, it only took about sixty three million for India's Mars program, Mangala. Oh. So when you think about the, you know, the, the scale of arbitrage and cost arbitrage, it's transforming the space industry globally. Oh yeah, uh -huh. that's that's quite a big difference there. Um, yeah, that if if you watch kind of the progression of the movie industry, uh, you can you can see how our thinking has changed in the background. As they bring in a, a better refined grade of consultants in the more modern movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That. Um, so we we always have to be concerned about um, what we're taking into space and what we're bringing back from space. Um, and I always, I always think about, uh, there's, there's a lot of effort right now in, going into building space-based power stations where we capture all the sunlight converted into, um, some other form of energy and beam it down to earth. Right. And, and, uh, and what, 
what does that do to the atmosphere piercing holes in it um, with this new form of energy? And is there a potential for getting our aim off and then destroying a town nearby or city? Um, and so I'm, I'm assuming there's lots of dangers that are potential dangers surrounding uh, this type of um, first generation technology. Is that correct? I, I think the um, you know the the implications of the application of space technology you know in power generation um, or you know in satellite launch right the, the the sustainability and the impact on the environment and on communities around them is something that needs to be studied very carefully. Um, you know we've started you know which a couple of years ago now I write about this in my first book blockchain reaction uh, how you know. Uh, NASA and Fermilabs, they are looking at using quantum computing to transmit data, right? So uh, we're seeing some very rapid progression in technological advances, uh, which are being studied in labs. And I think it's when they come out into the light, you know, the light of day um, that we have to um, be more observant and more careful in you know how that impacts the environment. So I'm expecting... Um, to see more conversation around that. Because, you know, right now, I think what's happening in the space economy is these, you know, folks like us who are passionate about it, who've been tracking and thinking about this for years, right? We're all in this room talking to each other and we're all excited about how great it is. And it is great. Um, I think the, you know, the, the, the next step, and this is part of why, you know, I write and talk about this so much is, you know, we have to share this message and this information with, you know, people for whom it's at the periphery of their vision. And I think as people start understanding some of those things, we are going to see more dialogue and questions like you're asking about the implications of some of these things. Um, so I think it's going to be an interesting conversation that has to balance, um, you know, commercial interests, of course, because it's fueled by a lot of commercial interest, but also, you know, uh, broader societal interests and the, the role of governments in striking that balance. Uh, because, you know, it is it, it is a bit unregulated right there at this point. Are you enjoying this episode of the Futurati podcast? If so, please like it. Give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share it with your friends. By far, the best way to help us grow is to spread the word on social media, which will expose our content to more people and help us continue to bring you interviews with world-leading experts in AI, quantum computing, cryptocurrencies, and so much more. Thank you in advance. Yeah. Um, there, There is no overarching organization that has control over the space industry. There's no um, multinational group that's controlling it. And so building satellites that would actually uh, beam a laser down to Earth, I mean, that could be the ultimate war weapon. Um, how how do you see that being handled or regulated moving forward? Um, so you know the there have been ASAT treaties, right? Uh, and companies, uh, countries have you know done tests to take down their own satellites. India has, China as the United States has. Um, so you know it, it, that's all in this in the in the realm of test, right? To right. see if we have the ability. So that continues, and uh, at, at this point, there's really nothing that prevents a commercial operator from doing the same thing. 
um, nothing that prevents a bad actor, a sovereign state, or you know, just a bad actor with a lot of money, um, right. to do that. Um, now, obviously, there are many treaties. The, the, the Outer Space Treaty of nineteen sixty-seven. The United Nations has you know active bodies that look at um, you know registering space objects. There, there's the Moon Treaty. There's a there's a variety of conversations happening. The Artemis Accords, obviously, which you know um, our, our country um, led the way on. Um, all of that said. Um, the 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 vastness of the canvas of space really requires us to think about collaboration and uh, you know some of these conversations differently. We can't use the you know the old paradigms of diplomacy and you know first mover advantage in these situations. We have to approach it differently. We we I think this is where um, I, I do believe we have to look at space as global commons. Um, and I write about this and, you know, talk about uh, uh, interstellar magma carta, uh, particularly because the ways we've, you know, come to agreements in the past over you know, boundaries or, um, you know, or even polluting, you know, natural environments uh, is not necessarily the way that's going to be most effective forward. Uh, but there is hope. <laughs> uh, the Antarctic Treaty, you know, is a good example of where we've actually worked together as a global community to, you know, kind of come to some agreements and preserve the Antarctic as a pristine, you know, research-based organ, you know, um, environment. Now, is this possible for space? I, I believe I'm an inherent believer and optimist, and you know, um, in, in in the goodness of human nature. But we need more dialogue at that strategic level, which is, you know, beyond the the commercial interests of one company or the sovereign interests of one state. Uh, in in order to really you know move forward in a in a more effective fashion. Yeah, I know that there's there's a lot of entrepreneurs that <laughs> going to be listening to this podcast and um, kind of in the back of their mind they're they're sitting there thinking, huh, I wonder if I can start up my own space company in my house, um, and what would that look like and. What what would that? Uh, how much money could I earn doing something like that? Uh, do you have any examples of somebody doing that right now? So yes, there are many people doing that around the world. Um, you know, we um, so yes. If entrepreneurs are thinking about that, I would say the answer is yes. There's a thriving space startup uh, economy. Um, you know, we see lots of companies that are, um, you know, looking at different parts of the space economy and figuring out how can I monetize this, right? Um, there's obviously uh, lots of interest in getting satellites off the ground because people just like rockets. People just seem to like rockets and launching stuff, right? So there's a there's a lot of interest in visibility in the launch and logistics area. Uh, but there's lots of other, you know, smaller startups looking at, you know, uh, in orbit servicing, for example, right? Space debris cleanup, for example, um, asteroid mining, private spaceports. Um, I was at the space symposium last week, and you know, there's a. You think of the idea; it's there. Um, so, to that extent, um, I, I do believe it's possible, uh, and we are already seeing that happen, especially in Asia and Africa, where the you know the the cost uh, model is slightly different. Uh, I think the key is going to be for these space entrepreneurs to, you know, really one, get the help as they're thinking through their idea and to really understand how the ecosystem can help them so they don't have to go it alone, right? So if you want to uh, assess, you know, do earth observation and assess um, crop data, for example, um, you don't have to only, you know, we don't have to worry about getting 
a launch vehicle to, you, you can partner with somebody else to get, you know, so, so I think it's that leveraging of the ecosystem that space entrepreneurs should really focus their attention on. Yeah, so that um, that's going to be this whole new wave of young people growing up, um, wanting to conquer the the unknown worlds out there. <laughs> now, you you had started um, talking about uh, some of the ways that you're coaching um, space companies, and I think you had a couple more points you were going to make. That's right. That's right. Thank you for reminding me. Yes. Um, so, you know, we talked about the fact that first it is to help um, organizations understand the potential space, right? You can do this. It's good for you. And here's what you can do given your industry or your adjacency. Right. Uh, the second part of it is, you know, how do you use the technology that is available out there? So, so some of that is in, you know, it's not necessarily a space conversation. It's a st strategy and innovation conversation. To say, well, you know, these are the advances in, um, you know, data edge computing. How can I use that for my business to make it better? Here are the advances in research in microgravity. You know, how can I use microgravity to support research or outcomes that I might have in my existing business, right? So that's a big part of it. Um, we also um, look at um, technology transfer and how companies can, you know, NASA has, a, has for decades had a very robust and rich technology transfer program. Um, and, you know, companies need to be more cognizant of some of those, um, you know, um, space tech uh, outcomes that may be useful for them. You know, of course, those the examples are, you know, galore, whether it's full mattresses or, you know, uh, uh, frozen ice cream, name your, you know, everything's had a genesis in, in space tech. To right. um, and then I think the third piece, which I think is really the most important is, you know, how do organizations operationalize this idea of, you know, being in uh, in space and utilizing technology in from a from a uh, from an operational construct, right? Now that if it if it's just taking technology that you know somebody's using in space and applying it, that's fair. That's that's easier. But having a focus on you know or having a a, a space entity within a corporation is actually something that we're seeing more and more companies starting to think about. Uh, it's kind of like we're in the days of the internet, you know, the, the, the early days of the internet. You had, you know, company.com was a separate legal entity, a separate organization. And then you had the brick and mortar entity, right? And then eventually they came together, right? You right. couldn't do one without the other. And I think that's kind of where we are with space as well, that companies have to think about, well, you know, is there a separate structure for my space arm? Where what what is going to do? How does it operate? How do I engage that part of the organization and use that to infuse innovation and advancement of my broader corporate, you know, organizational agenda, so that I can thrive and you know be more successful as a company? So that's I think that's the the trickier part because um, that's that virtuous cycle of innovation that every company you know has to has to has to go through. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, this is uh, this is actually brilliant. Um, I love how you're um, how you're helping companies and individuals think through where the opportunities are, and uh, I love how you think about um, how the space as being this new frontier. That even though we've been pitching that that line for a long time, <laughs> it's yeah. it, it's really. Um, becoming much more achievable. 
I mean, all the stuff that Elon Musk has done, um, shooting up rockets almost every day, it seems um, that has changed our, our thinking about what what we can accomplish and what we can't. Um, he he is uh, such an interesting person, and I know people have um, varying opinions of him. Uh, how how do you think about him as one of one of the uh, leading thinkers in space? The you know we, we've over the years we've always seen you know entrepreneurs and explorers who've you know been able to plant the the flag somewhere first. Yeah. Um, and I think that the truth is that there's always an entire ecosystem of support that gets that person there. And I think Christopher Columbus, right? So <laughs> in 1492, right? Christopher Columbus, I'll say the ocean blue, but he got funding from the government, um, okay. uh, right? Um, Isabella and her advisors. And uh, he got funding from private venture capitalists in Genoa, uh, in Italy, right? Um, I think that all the explorers that we're encountering or some of the you know purported first movers are resting on you know support from you know uh, government organizations like NASA, which have provided you know funding and support and uh, the infrastructure. So my my point really is that um, that is something that all of us or more companies and individuals and corporations should take advantage of, right? Um, and and we're seeing more and more governments are looking at providing that ecosystem so that it actually helps innovation flourish and helps you know, more individuals feel capable and able to one, understand the, you know, um, the potential of space and two, um, actually access it. So I think we're at that point where people are, you know, really, really trying to um, have more participation and the democratization of space is, is, is real. Do you need a dynamic and knowledgeable speaker for an event? Thomas Fry and me, Trent Fowler, are both seasoned keynote speakers able to converse on a wide array of topics to audiences of all sizes and skill levels. Go to the contact page at futuratipodcast.com to book Thomas or myself today and let us apply our years of experience in public speaking to make your event a smashing success. Well, very good. Um, what are some final thoughts that you have on um, how how the space industry is going to affect us moving forward? Um, I you know I I think maybe I would leave us with three thoughts and thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know I think the first is that you know we are approaching what I write about as stellar singularity, right? We are approaching this point where everything we do is going to play out on this much broader canvas of space. Uh, right. and it comes with significant ramifications from a geopolitical perspective, from an ethical perspective. Um, and, you know, the, it's really important for us as, I'm not a rocket scientist, I have great respect for them, right? But for lay people who live in the, in the, in the regular economy to understand and consume what's going on. So I think that's the first thing. So stellar singularity is something that, you know, we're all participants in, whether we, you know, we're conscious of it or not. Uh, the second thing is, um, you know, space is a global commons. This is a really important principle. Uh, and I, I lay out 10 specific principles that I think we as a, as a global community need to adopt so that we're safe, so that we're respectful, so that we're moving forward, you know, in a peaceful and cooperative fashion. So space is a global commons with an interstellar magna card, I think is very, very critical for all of us. 
Okay. Um, the third part, sorry, then the third final point I think is that, you know, when we think about the space economy, we think of rockets and, you know, all this like glitzy stuff. It is all of that. There's also very robust, uh, you know, thought processes around space law that we have to really be cognizant of. We have to really understand conflict resolution, sovereign identity. Again, things we have to do. It's not just rockets, right? And then, you know, uh, we have to also be conscious of ethics and sentience and what that really means for, you know, life as we as we know it and we don't know it. Right. Um, so, Elizabeth, I want to thank you for coming on the Futurati podcast. This is absolutely brilliant. Uh, I, I think we could talk for several hours on this topic. Um, I, I wish you the best moving forward. And uh, thank you again for coming on here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Thomas. I really appreciate it. All right. I wish you the best. Thanks, Elizabeth. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs> <laughs>